You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Let's start here. I've mentioned this before, I think. <clears throat> Some smells are pointy. Other smells are round. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you're not going to. It's just as simple as that. Does anyone have any idea what I'm talking about? Great. So let me explain it. Mint, mint is pointy, right? Rose is round. Yeah. Rosemary, pointy, right? Rose is round. Magnolia is round. If, the, if this doesn't make sense to you, then it's, it's just not going to. Um, in my household, it is a thing. Yesterday, I was making a marinade uh, uh, for some meal prep, and we started talking about, because it, it was really pungent, right? So Annalie asked me, okay, Dad, is this smell, is this marinade pointy, or is it, is it round? And we were talking about that, and of course it was pointy. Marinade is always pointy. It's a silly question. Marinade is always pointy. And then Annalie said, Dad, your sense of smell is poignant. And then I turned into Enigma Montoya, right? You keep using that word, and I I do not think it means what you think it means, right? Poignant is a memory that is lamentable or brings up something that is sorrowful. But you can see the roadmap, right? So... The, the smell, there was a pungent smell, whether it was pointy. So she said, Dad, your sense of smell is poignant. So after laughing for about 30 minutes of that, uh, that, that she used the word incorrectly, because she's always, <laughs> and I, I'm paying her $10, by the way, later today to tell you this story. Um, uh, she's always wanted to visit Norwegia. See what I'm saying, right? There's Norway. And there are things that are Norwegian, but you can't visit Norwegia. It doesn't exist. Dad, your, your sense of smell is poignant. I don't, I don't think it is, actually. I don't think it is. But as they say, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. Okay? She gets it honestly. Right? Um, at a former church I served, they had a very high level of expectation for extemporaneous prayer. Do you know what extemporaneous prayer is? It is where the pastor just starts praying, right? It's like after the sermon. That prayer is not written down anywhere. The pastoral prayer is, right? And they were upset that I, that I always wrote down my pastoral prayer. Like we, we think preachers should be extemporaneous in their prayer. And I said, well, it was extemporaneous when I wrote it down at six o'clock this morning, right? I've prayed to the Spirit, and the Spirit said, write it down, Matt. Right? That's, you know, and it's because I have a very bad habit of making up words if I'm not prepared. For example, fictitional, not a word. Fictitional is not a word. I've said that in public. Um, vindicative, also not a word. Uh, I was counseling a couple, and I said, look, she's not being vindicative. And he said... I know she's not, because that's not a word. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Or shall we not 
Uh, do, we, do we not remember? Do we not remember the, the Charlotte incident? I know I've told this story before. It was my first prayer out of my first year of seminary. I went to this big fancy church called Myers Park in downtown Charlotte. First Sunday there. I didn't even have a robe. They had to buy me a robe so it didn't look like a schmuck, right? I had to get up there. And it was my job. They allowed me to say the offering prayer. So I turned. I lifted up the plates. By the way, that was my first clue that I needed to hit a gym because, like, I'm, I'm holding the plates and it's just not... You do the shake, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're, oh, God. So I'm lifting up the plates right here. I'm, I'm getting distracted because I've rehearsed this prayer over and over and over again. And I'm standing there because you face the cross and you're thinking, and you're ready, the organ is about to glory beat, right? To the, or to do the doxology, praise to the, right? And I'm standing here and I end the prayer with what was supposed to be, let us continue to pray for the city, Charlotte. I'm going to give you about four seconds to say that to yourself a couple times and see what kind of PG-13 version you get before God and everyone, right? Let us continue to pray for the city Charlotte, which is not what I said. Senior pastor started giggling under his breath, which didn't help my lack of trapezoid flourishing. Is that even what that is? The, the, I, can't, I couldn't hold him, right? So I had to put him down. The city Charlotte. Annalee gets it honestly. Here's the interesting thing, though. The word poignant. Yes, it means having a keen sense of remorse or regret. But the archaic definition, the earlier definition, is something that is pungent in taste or smell. Eggs on my face, jokes on us. Anna Lee was correct just 400 years late, right? Or 400 years early to that party, right? <clears throat> our scripture lesson in our irrational kingdom that we're talking about is the conclusion, part of the conclusion of the chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus' large discourse on parables. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 51 through 53. It will be on the screens. It will be online, and it's also in your Bible or your Bible app. Let us hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Have you understood all of this? The disciples answered, yes. So Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old? When Jesus had finished these parables, he left. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you understood all of this? Well, what's this? Jesus has just finished this discourse on the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea that caught both good and bad fish, and they were sorted out at the end of the age. Have you understood all of this? And the disciples say, yes. But I think this moment is more akin to when I go to Christie and say, and, and Robert has COVID, uh, and he's on the very, very tail end of that. 
I've, I've, I've been very distant from him. That's where the family is. I'm pointing to the family who's not here. It's akin to when I go to Christy and say, oh my gosh, have you heard this song? And immediately she goes, yes. How interesting, right? Because she knows that if she doesn't say yes, <laughs> then for the next 10 minutes, like the earth has to stop moving. We have to sit down. I get the Bluetooth. We play through it at least once. And I give her all of the intricacies of why the song is like the best song ever. She knows that regardless of what she says, she's going to hear this song on repeat for about 40 times over the next week and a half. So over time in marriage, you learn to say, yes, I have heard it. How interesting. Because she knows when she says that, I'm going to say, I know, right? You know, it's like start doing the dishes while listening to the song, right? Have you understood all of this? I get the sense that the disciples are saying, yeah, all of it. We got it all. And then like, I, I, get, I get the picture of like James the Less. He's kind of a loser disciple. He's not, a, I don't, let me take it back. We don't know much, we don't know much about him, except that he was short. Like, how would you like to go through all of time being called James the Less because you're shorter than the other James? Like, what a raw deal. It's like, it's, it's like in John's gospel, then it says, um, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and two other disciples were in the boat. And you're like, you look up in heaven and finally read the story, like two other disciples, like I gave my life to Jesus and I'm recorded as one of the other guys in the boat. James the less, I can see him in this moment saying, yeah, but Jesus, can you start at the beginning? And they're like, shut up, James. <laughs> we got it, Jesus. We understand all of it. So that's when Jesus says, okay, well then let me close this out with a zinger. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a scribe who is trained in the kingdom of heaven is like a master who takes out of his treasure both old and new. And then he leaves. What does that mean? I don't know. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. This word to bring out, ekbalei in the Greek, can mean more than one thing. It can mean to take out in order to discard. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, it says that he took out demons or cast out demons, that word um, ekbalei, to take out and discard. Jesus ekbalei the demons. The word is also used when Jesus took the disciples and sent them out to continue preaching the word. I get the sense that in this story, Jesus says, have you understood all this? And they say, yeah, yes. He goes, okay. A scribe who's trained in the kingdom of heaven is like a master who takes out of his treasure both old and new. Have you understood this? Is taking out, are we supposed to take out the old and new of our treasure and then get rid of it? Are we supposed to take that which is old and that which is new and present it and reveal it? What are we supposed to do, Jesus? 
have you understood all of this? Similino, uh, sorry, Similina Pilchard climbing up the Eiffel Tower, elementary penguins singing Hare Krishna. Man, you should have seen them kicking Edgar Allan Poe. These are the lyrics from the Beatles' I Am the Walrus. They were written because John Lennon got word that people were analyzing his lyrics. So he wrote something that was intentionally utter nonsense just to see what the English professors would do. It is not meant to mean anything because music was not meant to be studied. It was meant to be enjoyed. Maybe these parables aren't meant to be studied as much as they are to be lived. Have you understood all of this? No. No, Jesus, I, I don't think I do. The question I think which is even more important is, and Jesus, is that okay? Is it okay that I don't understand? Is, is it okay that I don't get it? Is it okay that this irrational kingdom sometimes doesn't make any sense? This week I had the great fortune of attending, it's called KDI, Kingdom Dreamers Initiative. We started talking about God's activity in our life. How do you know God is at work? Especially when there's a changing of the season. My assumption is you know that God is at work when, for example, there is abundance. You have money to spare. You have places and spaces for people. Attendance is great. You just got a raise from SPR. Things are good. God is at work. The Holy Spirit is moving. And then they presented a list of seven items to reveal that God is at work in your story. And here are the seven. Number one, you will face oppositions and challenges that aren't normal. Number two, you will experience closed doors. Number three, you will experience a relationship shift. Number four, there will be a change of need and desire. Number five, and I take a deep breath with this, there will be a sense of restlessness. Number six, there will be a new joy, a new freedom, a new peace, or a new vision. And number seven, it will feel like grace has run out. Hmm. Hmm. What they are talking about is when you are experiencing a change of season, right? The leaves have to fall off the tree before winter is here. Sometimes we think God is at work when things are going well. And what they're saying is do not dismiss God when things are not. It's not that God causes these things. Hear me clearly. God does not cause these things, but just because a door is closed doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Sometimes we have to hear no. No is not a bad word. Later in Acts, Acts chapter 16, Paul wants to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, no, 
That is not where you are to go. Sometimes there is a closed door. Sometimes there is a sense of restlessness because we are not where we need to be. And the Holy Spirit is stirring us and meddling in our business and has us questioning, Do I, am I supposed to go here, Lord? I've always been here, Lord. And I've mentioned this before. Sin is an archer's term, means to miss the mark. You're shooting arrows and you do not hit the target. You miss the mark. It is burdensome. It is a burdened missing of the mark. In other words, you miss the target and you're like, ah, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Grace is that you never run out of arrows. Repentance, metanoia, means to have a change of mind, which means to turn around. The worst thing you can do when the target's over here is to fire arrows in the crowd. It's fruitless and people get hurt. Stop doing it. Turn around, metanoia, have a change of mind, turn around and at least aim at the target. But here's the fun part. The target is affixed upon God. And God is not dead. God is alive and moving and dynamic. Which means if you've always been firing in this direction, guess what? The target's over here. That's why morning by morning, new mercies I see. Morning by morning, not once when I was 12. Every day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek where this target is so that we might continue not to earn the grace of God, but to share it well. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. God is at work even in the things we want to avoid because we just might not be in the right place. And that's okay. Listen to the Spirit. Let it stir you and get moving. In other words, when someone asks you, are you where you need to be? I don't know is a fine answer. I don't know doesn't mean I don't care. God is not absent in these poignant moments. It reminds me of a song that you're going to hear in a second. It's called Shifting Sand by Cademan's Call. And the lyrics go like this. Sometimes I believe all the lies so I can do the things I should despise. And every day I'm swayed by whatever's on my mind. I hear it all depends on my faith, so I'm feeling precarious. The only problem I have with these mysteries is they're so mysterious. And like a consumer, I've been thinking if I get a bit more, more than my 15 minutes of faith, then I'd be secure. But my faith is like shifting sand, changed by every wave. My faith is like shifting sand, so I stand on grace. Waters rose as my doubts rained. My sandcastle faith slipped away. I found myself standing on your grace, and it had been there all the time.
Am I to bring out that which is old and new and reveal it and show it and share it? Should I bring out that which is old and new in order to discard it? To make room for something that is neither old or new? Maybe we are called to go into our storehouse and clean out that which is old and new, old which is not valuable, new that is seemingly more valuable, taking those things and throwing them away so that we can make room for the irrational. Maybe these parables are asking us to make room for the irrational, because if we don't make room for that which doesn't make sense, if we don't make room for mystery, when the tomb is empty and we hear he is risen, when we hear that death has been defeated, when we hear that our strength is found in weakness, when we hear that the last shall be first, when we hear that the poor are blessed and the meek will inherit, when we hear that the Lord is my shepherd and not my warrior, when we hear that thieves will be in paradise when we hear that neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, that we are all one in Christ. May the limitations of our head not get in the way of the abundance of our heart. Have you understood all of this? No. But I trust you, Jesus. Amen. Let us pray.